Howdy folks, I'm Skip Ruddertail, your Otter Editor, and this is episode 13A of the Bad Dog Book Club. Today we're proud to feature a story by Andres Siani Halden, Friday's Child is Loving and Giving. Our good friend Fuzzwolf picked the story out for us, and it comes from the just-published anthology The Fortune Teller's Poem. This anthology features the work of Taryn, Foosball, White Yote, G.J. Fall, Cam Hirasaki, Kyle Gold, in addition to that of Mr. Halden, who is also the collection's editor. If you enjoy today's story, be sure to pick up a copy of the book at FurPlanet.com. Our thanks go out to Andres for the story, and Fuzzwolf at FurPlanet for letting us share it with you today. Enjoy! Friday's Child is Loving and Giving by Andres Siani Halden Read for you by Alex Vance. First published in The Fortune Teller's Poem in 2011 by Fair Planet. Molly died in a car accident. Well, to be completely honest, she'd been pronounced dead at the hospital, but that wasn't what mattered in the end. My kids had to deal with it either way, especially the youngest, Sharon, who didn't really understand that Mommy wasn't coming back. The older kids, Jake and Sandra, both started crying in the hospital, which made Sharon start too. I didn't really know how to console them, since, to be fair, I wasn't really in a sane state of mind either. It's been three years since then, and I'm a bit fatter, and my kids were a bit older. Now, since I'm a sun bear, black fur, gold collar, the whole shebang, an extra 20 pounds or so isn't that noticeable. All my kids are heavyset, but I like to think that's more because they're bears and not because I raise them on mac and cheese, pizza, and ice cream. I love those kids, more than I think I've ever loved anything else in the whole world. As soon as Jake was born, I finally understood why my dad used to freak out every time I did something stupid or nearly killed myself. I'd do anything for them, even punch a police officer, which I'd done once, but that's another story. Jake just turned 12 a couple days ago. He'd been recruited onto the football team, which I was half proud of and half terrified about the whole situation, since it seemed half the team ended up with broken legs. My daughters are 10 and 8, and I'm scared shitless of the day they discovered boys are more than just Ken dolls. Jake already had a girlfriend, but he wasn't one of my little girls. I wanted to keep them safe. Besides, all three were my whole world. I rearranged my work schedule, what I did with my friends, and work vacations around what they needed. I suspected Sandra knew she had me around her little finger, but I still try to treat them all the same. Problem was, my work had to start cutting back. I wasn't management and probably never would be. I'd dropped out of high school. Molly'd been the brains in our house. So if I wanted to keep a full schedule, I had to start working evenings a couple of days a week. I didn't like going in right before the kids got home from school and not getting back from work until after they went to sleep. But it was either that or live off of cat food. All the neighbors had kids of their own, so that forced me to hire a babysitter. The first person I called was my mom. I might not like her very much, for reasons I won't go into right now, but when it comes to her grandkids, she does what's best. Unfortunately, what's best is what she thinks they'll enjoy, not what will help them. Every time they leave her house or she leaves mine, all three buzz off sugar. She buys them gifts, lets them watch TV all night, takes them out to the park, and everything else so they will adore her. Problem is that spoiling lasts right until they're out of hearing. Then her attention turns to me. I haven't dated anyone since Molly, and my mom likes to remind me of that every time I see her. It took her exactly one year after the accident for her to start mentioning single sun bears in her neighborhood. 
I wasn't able to move on, but the subtle hints moved to outright suggestions after two years. My neighbors couldn't keep up with my kids either. It wasn't that Jake and Sander wouldn't listen or Sharon misbehaved. Everyone nearby just had their own kids to take care of. The Mortensen had six kids. It wasn't that weird for rabbits, but three more just drained them. The Smiths liked me, liked my kids, but never believed it when their little brat caused trouble, so Jake ended up with the blame. Finally, I decided against going with the high school kids, too rigid of a schedule, and put up ads at the local college. It took a few more weeks of having to mooch off neighbors, but eventually a junior named Lath responded. My first thought when the kid came was just how small he was. Sure, I'm a big guy, well over 200 pounds, but he couldn't have weighed more than a buck ten. I had to admit, he was cute, big ears, smoky gray eyes, sandy fur, and clothes that fit him well. I liked the mix of a button-up light purple shirt and jeans. His tail swished behind him, and when he asked to use the bathroom, I caught a glimpse of his rump under his tail. No, that wouldn't work. The little fox was here as a babysitter, not anything else, and I needed to keep everything professional. Besides, I probably didn't have a chance. It was old, fat, and had children that were in my sole custody. It was like the unholy trinity for never dating. So, three kids? the fox asked, walking back into the living room. He took a seat on one of my couches, tucking his legs under him. I couldn't help but smirk. Only someone as small as him could sit all folded up like that. Boy, two girls. He goes to sleep at eleven, the girls at ten. Are they allergic to anything? Now that told me that he didn't want to screw this up. We're all allergic to peanuts. I've got EpiPens in the medicine cabinets. The Fennec nodded without asking me to elaborate. He must know how to use them. Do they really like anything? I can cook them dinner when I'm here. Do they really like anything? I can cook them dinner while I'm here. <sighs> how had no other parents scooped this fox up? It made me smile that he wanted to get on the kid's good side. Mac and cheese. I've got boxes in the cupboard. We went through a couple more easy questions, like how much I was going to pay him and the latest he could stay, midnight. After we finished, he gave me a cell phone number in case I needed to call him on the fly. Right before he got back to his car, the school bus drove up. All mine and the neighbor's kids poured out, my three running toward me, but pausing when they saw the fennec. Molly had taught them to avoid strangers, so they did this weird sideways walk to make it back to me. Jake just did it a bit more gracefully. He's your new babysitter, I called out, making the two younger kids immediately relax, but make Jake look disappointed. I bet he was hoping for another busty high schooler who would wear tight t-shirts. I'll be back uh, Wednesday, Lath asked, and I nodded, waiting for the kid to get into his beat-up Civic and drive away before going back inside. The next six weeks were some of the least stressful I've had in a long time. I could trust that cute little fennec with my kids, which meant I could focus at work without glancing at my cell phone every five minutes, paranoid. None of the guys in my section of the office had kids, and most were a decade younger than me, so I couldn't really expect understanding or support from them. Besides, computer work might be monotonous, but it was the best job I could get without a degree. On Friday, while I clicked through work emails, my boss came around the corner and into my cubicle. Now, I like Jim. He's a nice guy, but he and his wife don't have any kids, so he doesn't understand that I need a lot more time off than the 20-something guys just out of college. I'm uh, gonna need you to come to work on Saturday, he started. The blotchy-colored male leaned against the corkboard barricade and handed me a fresh cup of coffee. I resisted the urge to sigh. I knew it wasn't really his fault. The guys in the ivory tower made them keep the office open all the time, but that didn't stop me from resenting being there at weird hours. Is that going to be a problem? Shaking my head, I closed the email window and started with all the other crap I had to do today. 
I saved up a lot of vacation time, but I couldn't just squander it. There were football games, parent-teacher conferences, and other days I needed to save everything for. Sure, it meant less time with my friends, but there was something else I needed to save a couple days for. I need next Monday off, I mentioned as he turned to walk away. My mom wanted to see her grandkids, and she wasn't something I really liked to push about things like this. So as soon as the district had a teacher work day, I had to take a day off and drive them the hour down into the country. Farms, horses, sheep. It all made me want to puke these days. I think I can make that happen. His unsure tone bothered me, but I didn't ask for full days off most of the time, so hopefully he'd comply. I got back to work, trying to ignore the nagging idea that I would have to spend an entire weekend at my mom's. By the time my dinner break came around, my feet were already hurting. My building had a food court on the ground floor, since there weren't any fast food places within a few blocks, so I grabbed a plate of fries and a Coke before sitting with some of the other guys from the office. Two of the wolves were trading stories from their weekends, both had gotten laid, and almost everyone else was entranced, so I ate in relative silence for a few minutes before one of them pulled me into the conversation. You gotten any tail lately, Brian? No, I answered immediately, making the coyote in the group roll his eyes. You gotta get out, man. Go to a bar. Come to a club with us. <laughs> These guys couldn't really understand what it was like to have kids. How could I explain it? I might put everyone to bed early, but I couldn't go anywhere. I'd ran to the grocery store around midnight before and been paranoid the house would burn down while I was gone. I've got three kids. Well, don't you have a babysitter? One of them countered. Yes, I did, and I could hire him to have a fun night out. However, what would I say to a young lady? I hadn't dated him more than a decade. Would the same pickup lines work? Going out with these guys would probably mean I'd go home alone anyway. They all worked out and had fashion sense. I'm not leaving them overnight. <laughs> they didn't want to drop the subject, so I ate as fast as I could, answering questions with one, maybe two words at the most. I'd give it some thought, but it could wait. Maybe in a few years, they'd be able to relate, but for now, I finished eating. Threw the takeaway container into the trash and trudged back up to my cubicle. I could spend the rest of my hour on the computer. By the time I got home, I was mentally exhausted. My feet hurt from having to walk memos all around the building, and I just wanted something to eat. I knew there wasn't anything fresh in the fridge. There never was, but there had to be at least one TV dinner left. When I walked in, the Fennec was curled up on the couch, his English textbook open on his lap. There's leftover spaghetti in the fridge, the fox commented, turning a page in his book. God, I wanted to keep him. After putting the Tupperware container into the microwave, I slumped down on the couch. Lathe only took up the leftmost corner against the arm. I took up the rest. The kids are already in bed, he said, closing his book before standing up and beginning to gather up all his stuff. Him leaning down to pick up his bags and books gave me a good look at his cute little ass. Damn it, I needed to stop looking at him. The boy wasn't even twenty years old. Besides, I couldn't just bring a guy home. Kids wouldn't understand. Uh, what day do you need me next? The fox asked as he moved around the kitchen, cleaning up whatever mess he'd left. I hadn't noticed anything except the line between the fridge and the microwave. Uh, Thursday, I mumbled, trying hard not to fall asleep on the couch. I heard the microwave ding, and before I could even summon the effort to get up, the fennec brought the steaming bowl to me, complete with silverware. Grunting out a reply, I started eating, only pulling myself up enough that I wouldn't choke. I'll be back then. Was it just me, or did the kid smile at me in a more than friendly way? I got one last look at his swishing tail before he was out the door, but most of my attention was on the food. 
Had there ever been saucer noodles in the pantry? This didn't taste like canned sauce either. Was he that good of a cook that he could make spaghetti sauce from scratch? Might as well ask the kids tomorrow how he did it. I fell asleep on the couch. Whoever was shaking me better have a good reason, but when I opened my eyes, it was Sandra. I smiled just like I always did when I looked at my little girls. What's it? Even if I could realize that my little cub was in front of me, didn't mean my voice wanted to work, whatever time it was. Can Sharon and I have pancakes for breakfast? She looked at me with her best please eyes, and I melted. Sure, sure. Go wake up, Jake. She scurried off, which was good, since as soon as I tried to stand up, pain shot up my spine, and I let out a string of words I didn't want any of my kids to learn. The uneven couch cushions had fucked up my back. As I dealt with the pain, all three kids came out of their rooms. The girls shared one, already dressed. I'm really glad they'd been able to pick up some of the slack left after Molly. A pang went through me, thinking about the stuff she used to do for the kids. She'd been the nurturer, me the worker, and the kids knew it. I think it was mainly Jake trying to help pull some of the pressure off me, playing the role of both parents. After breakfast, I tried to get the knot out of the small of my back, but even Jake didn't really have the strength to get that deep under my extra layers. Just to make matters worse, I was out of those icy hot things that always helped. What was I going to do? I couldn't sit down because that just sent spikes of pain up my spine and I couldn't spend the whole day in bed. I hobbled around trying to ignore it while I did laundry, wiped down the counters and picked up my own bedroom while the kids watched cartoons. I accidentally bent down a little too much reaching for a sock and swore again, and this time the kids heard me. Daddy, Sharon called out, walking around the corner into my room. I'm fine, sweetie, I said through gritted teeth. No, I wasn't, but they needed to think that. Jake wants to know if he should call the doctor. No. The last thing I needed right now was another bill. Just then, the doorbell rang, making me shuffle half-bent over to the front door. Just then I realized I'd left it unlocked the whole night. It was lathe. I forgot one of my books here, he said, a smile twitching at the corner of his mouth, seeing me gimped. Come on in. At least the kids weren't giggling at me. They all looked really worried. As I turned around, small paws pressed into my back. Here, the fennec said in a very soothing voice, and I groaned. His paws, way too petite to have any real force, started massaging into my back, finding the knot almost instantly and in seconds making it start to loosen. I stumbled, having to grab the back of the couch to stop from falling over. Uh, how are you? I almost melted into the couch. Whatever he was doing, the pain that had bothered me for the last couple of hours was fading. My mom's a masseuse. Oh, God, I needed to keep this kid around as a full-time maid. Could I afford that? The thought was gone almost as fast as the knot popped loose in my back, taking away some of the pain. You shouldn't hurt yourself, he murmured, but I couldn't really give it an answer. As long as I kept the kids fed, I could deal with something like this. It took a few more skilled prods and poked, but soon I could stand completely up again. Sit down, the fox ordered, and I wasn't about to argue. He walked further into the house when I finally got comfortable, and after a few minutes, I realized he was probably picking up the forgotten clothes, dishes, and toys around the house. You don't need to do that, I called out, making him walk into my field of vision and glare at me, but there was no venom behind it. You threw out your back. Sit down. If you want to pay me, you can. I noticed that he didn't actually say I had to. Wait, was he cleaning my house without being paid? It all sounded so wrong, but I didn't want to argue. My back felt good. I've got four brothers and three sisters, all back home. 
it suddenly made sense why it can control my kids so well. You're the oldest. Yep. He pulled a small paper back out from behind one of the couches, setting it on the kitchen counter as he moved around. Both parents work? That made him pause for just a moment. Yeah, Dad's a real estate agent. Oh, lots of money that way. That was a job I'd looked at a couple of years ago, but working off commissions just seemed too volatile. It's why I could come out here to college. He stepped out of sight, unintentionally ending the conversation. I leaned my head back against the back of the couch, trying to remember everything I needed to pick up today. I think I dozed off because after blinking a few times, Laith was sitting next to me, watching one of the kids' DVDs with them. All three were silent, which really surprised me. Normally they talked through the movies, jumping and chatting excitedly through the whole thing, except when Molly glared at them. Did this Fennec have that same skill? I figured you needed to sleep, he whispered, passing me a bag of potato chips. <sighs> Why was this kid so nice? I wasn't paying him right now, and come to think of it, I hadn't paid him for the last couple of days. It took me a couple of seconds to fish out my wallet and pass him a couple twenties. Uh, that cover it? I asked, and much to my surprise, he actually gave me ten dollars back. That does. Was anyone his age this honest? I really shouldn't question it, but the nagging thoughts now began. No one was this nice. Was he casing the place? In a few days, would he ask to borrow money and then disappear on a drug trip? He looked so innocent, especially for a college student, and when I caught a reflection in his wide eyes, I forgot about my worries for a while. I don't know how long we all sat there, but eventually Laith got up and made everybody dinner. Was he just hanging out with us? Was he worried about my kids? <laughs> Normally I'd be offended by someone trying to raise my kids for me, but that's kind of what I paid him for. If he cooked for them, the easiest way to poison the kids in my worried mind, then I could trust him. It really didn't matter what he made, but when I smelled mac and cheese and grilling hot dogs, I knew why the kids loved him. They were behaving, so he catered to them. Just like a parent. Just like Molly. I just sat there watching the fennec, his ears and tails flicking as he walked around the kitchen, showing Sharon the proper way to mix the cheese into the macaroni and making sure Jake didn't burn the wieners. Sandra tried to help, but since there wasn't anything left to delegate, she just set the table, putting out enough plates for the five of them. Damn, this fox could even stop them from complaining where they sat at the table. How did he do it? Come on, Daddy, Sharon called, and I lumbered into the kitchen. No need to waste good food like this, especially since I didn't have to put forth the effort to cook it. Laith stayed around all evening. I didn't really have the heart to kick him out, especially after he'd fixed my back, kept the kids quiet, and then made dinner for all of us. God, how much would I have to pay him to get him to do that every day? Wait, the fox was in college. He had other more important things to do. It was Saturday, so all the kids could stay up later, but Jake got a call from a friend and decided to spend the night over there. The girls both went back in their room to watch a movie that I didn't want to, so the Fennec and I were left in the living room, the TV on some 24-hour news station that I only used as background noise. <laughs> Thanks for doing all this, I mumbled, kind of embarrassed he'd been here for so long. I was on the couch with a little fox beside me. His scent was subtle. I hadn't really picked it up before now, but for some reason it made me think of a barbecue dry rub. Subtle, but fragrant. You needed it he whispered, leaning against me. God, one of his big ears flicked against my shoulder. He was so cute. Was he just being friendly? Romantic? Did he just have a different definition of personal space? I still appreciate it. Now I couldn't resist. I placed a big paw on his knee, covering it in half his thigh. 
Since he was only wearing shorts, I could feel how soft his fur was. It was a weird thing for me. See, since I'm a bear, all my fur is rough and Molly's fur was just as coarse. Neither of us really tried to make it smoother since it would have taken ridiculous amounts of shampoo, but his almost felt like silk. I pressed my nose against the top of his head. Now, it might sound weird, but when you're domesticated, the little things turn you on. I could smell hints of the slightly burned hot dogs and mac and cheese in his fur and it just made me think of him in an apron and nothing else. I didn't even know what his bare chest looked like, but I can imagine it. His head tilted up, but with my eyes closed, I didn't know if he was pushing me off. Then he kissed me. God, his lips were as soft as his fur. I didn't really know how to describe it, except the slight salty taste of potato chips definitely made me part my lips and listen to him gasp. I breathed in as he breathed out, my palm moving up to cup the side of his head. Then he broke the kiss, letting out the cutest little whine, almost painful. I thought I'd hurt him, but when I opened my eyes I saw what it was. My fingers were lightly brushing against one of his ears, making me think it was his weak spot. I ran my wide fingers over the edge of his ear, smiling as his eyes closed and shivered. <sighs> no, this was wrong. He was a decade younger than me, and I paid him to be here, despite the fact that I wanted to pull him into my lap, pressing my nose down against his shoulder. We need to stop, I whispered, knowing I couldn't really put any force behind that. The fennec just kissed my cheek, a blush going from his throat to the inside of his ears. I'd always been able to feel the heat of a blush, but never with anyone that had light enough fur to actually see it. I'll be back Thursday. It took a few more ear flicks and fumbling, but he eventually got out the door without much more awkwardness. Oddly enough, I didn't think the kissing and the abrupt stop really bothered him. By the feel of it, he knew why I was holding back and understood. The kids were in the house, the threat of them waking up any moment looming, and most of all, I just couldn't go after the babysitter. I didn't really know if it had bothered them, but I needed to do what was best for them. They needed a mom, not a cute little fox that had unwittingly charmed me. Thursday night wasn't a work day. I didn't have to work Friday morning, so I agreed to go out drinking with the guys at one of the local bars. We all carpooled. George, the russet fox, playing the designated driver, me in the passenger seat and the wolves Richard, Ayame and Hughes in the back seat. It's one thing I noticed about wolves. They got more animated the more than there were. If Richard sat alone, he stayed shy, but with a friend on the other side, he suddenly became animated, joking and sometimes vulgar. All of the other guys were just out of college and making more than me. Maybe they'd end up paying a few rounds. Problem was, I wasn't really excited about picking anybody up, despite George's assurances my size and age wouldn't deter some of the girls where we were headed. When I looked over at the fox, the image of Laith popped into my head. The only thing our driver and my babysitter had in common might be tenuous, but the fox still reminded me of our kiss a few nights ago. George noticed my attention and smirked as he came to stop at the light. We're not going there. I looked past him and blushed a little. At the corner was the Toolbox, the biggest gay bar in town. <laughs> I figured not. They all knew I'd been married before, but only George amongst them knew of my other preferences, and only because he was gay. I don't think the other wolves knew he wouldn't be picking up chicks either. Oh, it's not a bad place, really. Lots of single chicks there. We're not going to some faggy bar, Hughes yelled. I want beer, damn it, not girly drinks. Richard and George both rolled their eyes. 
And what's wrong with drinks that don't taste like piss? The Vulpine retorted, turning back to look at the group of wolves. Hugh snorted. You think we're going to get girls with fairies all around us? Ah, oh, that's it. We are getting girl drink drunk. Two of the wolves groaned, but no one actually said anything. All I could do was gulp. Molly and I used to find it fun to go to gay bars. We both liked fruity drinks, so sitting together and giggling at the drag queen's ridiculous half-ripped clothes on some of the guys wore would make a fun couple of hours. I hadn't been to one since. All five of us piled out of the car, passed a muscle-bound cougar at the door who checked everyone's ID but mine, and stepped inside. Unlike a club, which I hated, soft mood-setting music played through the building, instead of some kind of techno or trance that would just give me a headache. When two of the wolves behind me paused, probably not sure how to react here, George walked right up to the bar and waited for the shirtless collie to notice him. Three mojitos, two cosmos, and, um... He looked at me, his tail wagging a little. And something that tastes like candy. Surprised me. There were about a dozen other guys at the bar, a lot more sitting at tables or in bars, and I couldn't pick up any real sense over that of cigarette smoke and a badger a few feet away from me. Our little group trudged further in, George awkwardly smiling at a few guys that looked up at him. We took an unoccupied booth against one of the far walls, out of the main line of foot traffic. It took a few more seconds for my eyes to adjust, but soon I could tell there were, indeed, single girls there. A group of femi wolves sat a couple booths down from us, three vixens spaced between them. Hughes noticed. How are they going to see us, he whispered, but almost as soon as drinks reached our booth, the girls kept glancing back at us. I knew what was happening, even if two of the wolves and the fox didn't. They were playing the are they game. Five of us in dress shirts, sitting in a bar full of skinny, attractive, half-dressed guys. We had to be straight. It only took two of the vixens another few minutes, and me sipping down one of the mojitos, for them to sidle out between their friends and walk over. I made a point to look down, but they moved right past me to the young wolves, just like I'd figured anyway. They started chatting up George and Ayame, leaving me to reach for another drink. After my fifth or sixth fruity drink, I knew how drunk I was, but I didn't really want to stop right now. Laith would stay there as long as I needed him to, even though I didn't know exactly why. Despite my vision being a bit fuzzy, I could focus on thoughts of the little fennec. I wanted him. I could admit that to myself, but he seemed too good for me. That might be my self-esteem issues talking, but I'm old and fat. Cute, skinny fox shouldn't even look twice at me, let alone care about my kids at the same time he wanted to kiss me. Why did he care? You doing fine? George asked, leaning close enough to me that I could pick his unique scent. It reminded me a bit of Lath, with hints of spices mixed in with his musk. Yeah... I slurred, sipping something that tasted like strawberries and probably had too much alcohol. I focused on the people around me for a moment and realized none of the wolves were here anymore. They must have left with the girls. You want to head out? George asked. I nodded, not sure if I could stand up. I fished for my wallet, brushing the fox's thigh in the process, but before I could get bills out, the fox put a black furred paw on mine. <laughs> You're good. Confused, I put my wallet away shoving my way out of the booth. I had to keep a paw on the fox's shoulder to stay steady, but we made it back to the car without much of a problem. I wasn't going to get sick, but there was no way I could walk without the support. When he turned his car on and started to pull out of the parking lot, staring around two guys making out against the Chevy, he picked up the conversation again. You look happier, he commented, keeping his eyes on the road. 
I didn't really know how to react to that. I did? From what? Was it lathe? I did worry about the kids a lot less, and I knew coming home to see that little fox on the couch, reading or watching TV, made me smile. You dating someone? Honestly, I didn't know how to answer that either. I wanted to date Laith more than I wanted to date anyone since Molly died. However, I now understood what my wife meant when she joked about old boyfriends being too nice. Laith never complained about long hours or weird schedules. He fed the kids each night and smiled when I walked in. What was his deal? I'd rather he be selfish or bitch about when I wanted him to babysit than take everything in stride. Uh, not really. Well, uh, want me to come over? <laughs> I thought about it. I was drunk, but I still remembered I needed to call and check with Laith about it. I focused on the dashboard, trying to figure out the time, just after midnight. <laughs> that early? I'd expect it to stay out until two or three in the morning. My thick fingers couldn't really work the buttons, but when it came to a stop sign, George was nice enough to reach over and dial my house for me. I forgot he knew the number. It only rang once. Hello? The Fennec sounded completely awake. Good. I hadn't woken him up. Can you stay a little longer? I wasn't sure if those were the words he heard, but I know that's what I said. Sure, he answered immediately. I don't have class in the morning. No arguments, no negotiation, just doing what I asked so the kids wouldn't be in the house alone. Thanks. I could hear a TV on in the background, so I let him get back to whatever he was watching. It only took us another few minutes to get to George's apartment. He lived a few miles down from me in a much nicer suburb, surrounded by identical houses, the only thing separating each home being the car in the driveway. Once he parked, he helped me out, I still couldn't stand very well, and walked me inside. I always liked coming to his place. The spacious living room smelled like baking, since most of the time the fox cooked all his own meals. Smells from all the food in the last week lingered, creating a pleasant mix without it smelling too much like a restaurant. He helped me to sit down on the couch, which I promptly sunk into, and walked into the kitchen, his tail swishing. "'So what's his name?' came his voice from the kitchen, and despite the fact that Ten stopped a little, I still told him. It seemed weird to me that he assumed I was dating a guy, but then again, he might just be able to pick up on things like that. Foxes are sneaky that way. "'Laith!' I could hear the fridge open and bottles being pulled out. "'Were we still drinking?' When he came back, I was surprised by the bottled coffee he passed me. Help you sober up a little before you go home. I don't like sitting in cafes. <laughs> I smiled, toasted, and only had to wait a few more seconds for the fox to continue. He your babysitter or your boyfriend? I knew if I thought about it, I couldn't help but say it, and George might be able to help me. <sighs> babysitter. The fox whistled. That can be weird. I guess he's nice, though, if you let him around your kids. Even through my haze, I could see George's sarcastic smile. I freaked out after I let him babysit, and he gave him coffee. He just didn't have the experience with kids. Yeah. I looked down at the bottle, trying to figure out what it reminded me of. It tasted like coffee, sure, but something else I couldn't quite place. So how old is he? I paused, since I didn't actually know, but I could hazard a guess. Twenty, I think. Junior in college. George just smirked a bit wider and placed a paw on my arm. Oddly, the physical touch helped add a little weight to his words. If he's nice to you, your kids love him, and he's hot on top of it, what's the problem? 
I didn't know an answer to that, so I just sipped my cold, too sweet coffee in silence for a few minutes. When it was empty, the fox took both our bottles and threw them away, and the caffeine let me stand up on my own. We made it back to my house by one, and George was nice enough to make sure I got my door unlocked before driving away. I tried to be quiet, but when I noticed the TV was still on, I knew the fox was still awake. He'd curled up against the arm of the couch, one of the afghans from the linen closet wrapped around him. He must get colder faster than my kids. He looked up at me, his smoky eyes bright with a reflected light. I noticed the books piled around him. He must have been studying. Sorry about being out so late. I swayed a little. Apparently the coffee hadn't blocked all the booze. Lath unwrapped himself from the blanket and stood up, turning off the TV in the process. The remote must have been in there with him. Need some help? I didn't want to nod, but I did, waiting for the tiny fox to get close enough that I could put an arm around his shoulders. God, he smelled good. And then it hit me what the coffee reminded me of. Him. There was just a hint of pleasant spices, like a reminder of cinnamon, under his natural scent. We trudged back to my bedroom and when we made it. I couldn't resist but lean down and kiss him on one of those big ears. Maybe it was the booze. Maybe the confidence George had given me. I didn't know for sure. But he gasped at the contact. I'll see you next week, I mumbled. There wasn't any need for him to be here on the weekend, and tomorrow I got off work before the kids got home. He nuzzled my shoulder. He couldn't reach any higher without stretching, and helped me get to my bed. I didn't hear him leave, but trusted him to lock up. When I woke up in the morning, I'd be hurting, but it wasn't something a little Alka-Seltzer wouldn't solve. Monday rolled around, and I piled all the kids into our minivan, only bringing some games for when Mom decided to spend time with me instead of the kids. I only visited a couple of times a year now, despite the fact that she was close, mainly because of the discussion she kept bringing up. It's something I hated, and my mom was the only one who actually had it with me. My dad had died before any of my kids were born, and if he knew what she was pushing, he might have hit her. I knew he used to, so it wouldn't have made a difference, but might have shut her up. <sighs> I might be going to hell for that thought, but she had never been nice to me or my brothers. I think sometimes she deserved it. Driving up to my mom's ranch brought back a lot of unpleasant memories. There was the barn I used to have to clean out, alone, when I sassed her back, the tree I'd broken my arm falling out of, my brother had pushed me, and the small gravesite behind the barn where my father, two brothers, and uncle were buried. Sometimes, I do feel bad outliving my older brothers, but I couldn't control that Eugene had decided on a drunken stunt after one too many shots of tequila, or that Victor had contracted hepatitis and been too stubborn to see a doctor. At least Dad had died in his sleep. Mom was out in the yard when I parked the car, causing the girls to scramble out and rush into her arms. She was about the same size as me, fat, short, and stocky, but with surprising strength as she lifted the kids up. Jake paused. I knew he was old enough now to realize she wasn't very nice. She complained about how he acted, complained about me in front of him, and that pissed him off. He understood I was doing my best, and rather than jumping out of the car, he shut the door and looked at me. I don't want to stay here tonight. Oh, we're not, I assured him, taking the keys out of the ignition and unhooking my seatbelt. We're just going to stay for the day, then drive back home. I don't like Grandma. That made me sigh. Neither do I. I met her in the yard after she disentangled from the girls and her eyes went from pure falsified happiness to stern. I see you're still dressing the same. Her tone and smile made the girls think she was being nice. I knew otherwise. My loose, bleach-stained shirt and slacks kept me covered, and I was fine with not trying to impress anyone. 
I'm comfortable, I said. My mom frowned, but turned to help lead the kids into the house. Jake stayed next to me. I think he saw our mean eyes, too. The inside of the house put me in a remarkably neutral mood. Sure, not much had changed in the last 20 years. The same lumpy couch, the same old TV from the late 80s. But one thing did draw my attention. The mantle always showed off everyone in the family my mom was proud of, but one picture I'd given her was missing. My favorite picture of me and Molly, back when she was in college, and I'd just proposed, her with a goofy grin and holding out her ring. It was nowhere to be seen. I walked over to the mantle, scanning to see if I was just missing it. No, she'd put it somewhere. Where'd you put it? I even lifted up a few frames, trying to see if something had just been moved in front of it. I took it down, my mom said. She ushered the kids into the kitchen, and though I could smell fresh brownies, that wasn't important right now. Why? She stepped up next to me, looking down the line of Polaroids and developed snapshots, showing my dead dad, me, my dead brothers, and my kids. It's time you moved on. I threw it away. I almost hit her. God damn it, my paw clenched, my nails dug into my palm, and I almost took a swing at her. I wasn't having the discussion two minutes in the door. I'd driven out here for her to see the kids, spoil them, feed them sweets, take them horseback riding, and then send us all home. Sure, I knew this would happen, but couldn't she wait a couple hours at least for when the kids were chasing one of the dogs instead of preoccupied with brownies? I glared at her, knowing I never could get the angry look down, and tromped into the kitchen. Kids, we're leaving. Sharon had half a brownie in her muzzle, and though she looked disappointed, she still obeyed when Jake grabbed her paw and almost ran for the door. Sandra had the good sense to grab a few more brownies before following. You can't avoid this forever, my mom said, all the venom back in her voice now that I'd put my foot down. Your kids need a mother. Though I couldn't see my girls anymore, Jake waited for me at the door, watching the exchange intently. Apparently, you don't know what they need, I said, my voice angry. You still need a wife, and every house needs a mother and father, she retorted. Dad took care of us. It's not like you did. The words left my mouth before I could think them over. She looked like I'd physically slapped her, but she regained her composure almost as quickly. Seeing how you're acting, she said coldly, he didn't take care of you very well. I'd never seen red before now, but I lost my peripheral vision for a couple seconds, and I dug my claws into my palm so hard I cut the skin and started to bleed. You can insult me all you want, but you will not talk bad about Dad. A foul taste filled my mouth as I kept talking. Do my kids need a new grandpa, too? Why haven't you gotten remarried? Doesn't that make you a failure? I've never seen my mom speechless, but before a stunned silence wore off, I stomped out of the house, grabbed Jake on the way, and to the passenger door of my van. As soon as everyone was buckled in, I shifted into reverse and backed out as fast as I could. Jake looked proud of me, and to be fair, I was sickly proud of myself too, but I still put on my best warning face. Don't you ever talk to your grandmother like that. He smirked, and I knew that he would repeat it, but I still shifted the car into drive and started down the road. For the first half hour of the trip back, my mind remained solely on the road, but it wandered quickly to the casually blank space on her mantle. Molly and I had been married ten years, and my mom had taken the picture down as though she needed to be forgotten. I could never forget her. I could never really move past her. A sudden image of Laith entered my mind, making me realize how self-sacrificing he'd been for my kids in the last few weeks. If I needed him the night before a test, he'd just study while the kids watched a movie. 
If I needed him on Friday night, he'd give up social events to make sure I didn't need to worry about work. I loved them, and I think the little Fennec did too, despite the fact that he'd only known them a little while. I needed him, probably a lot more than I realized until now. So I picked up my cell phone, charging on the dash, and dialed the fox's number. Jake looked at me sideways from the passenger seat, making me think he knew what was going on in my head. He knew how I thought more than anyone. Hello? Laith answered. I could hear faint music in the background, something mellow and familiar, making me think he was in a coffee shop. The image of the little fox, sitting delicately in a quiet shop and drinking a cappuccino, lightened my mood a bit. It's Brian. Can you come by the house in about an hour? Did something happen? He sounded concerned, and I knew Jake could hear his voice, since the boy leaned in a bit closer to me and swiveled his little round ears in my direction. I didn't really want my son in the conversation, but I couldn't really push him away with one paw on the wheel and the other holding up the cell phone. No, no, I just... How could I explain this with the kids only a few feet from me? You need some company? I smiled, switching lanes to get around a tractor trailer. Yeah. You mind? I thought I heard a chair scraping on the other end of the line and some shuffling of papers. He must be working on a paper. Sometimes I forgot he was actually in college. Not just a fantastic babysitter. Not at all. I'll be there. Oh, thanks. I knew the relief in my voice was evident since I heard his pleasant laugh before we exchanged goodbyes and hung up. Out of the corner of my eye I could see Sandra lean forward. Is Leith coming tonight? I nodded, making her smile. If they liked him, I needed to keep him around. Jake hid it most of the time, but he was lonely. Having an older friend around the house wouldn't help lift the spirits, and the girls certainly weren't complaining. The Fennec pulled up exactly three minutes after we got back, and after letting himself in, all three kids went crazy. Balanced in both paws were two pizzas, with a smaller box on top. Once he set the boxes down on the kitchen counter and sent the girls to gather paper plates and napkins, they were happy to eat straight from the box. He faced me, the two of us obscured from the kids' sight by the half-wall that separates the living room from the kitchen. My house had a very neat design. Both the living room and the dining room joined at the kitchen to form an L-shape, letting anyone on the couches or at the table keep an eye on the stove. Oh, thank you so much, I whispered, pulling money out of my wallet to cover the food. I hadn't even thought about getting something on the way, knowing the kids would be hungry by the time we'd get back. In my mind, something microwaved from the fridge would have worked, but this was so much better. Don't worry about it, he whispered. A small, sand-colored paw pushed my money holding one down, and he stood up in his toes to kiss me on the cheek. Before I could respond, he walked back into the kitchen, tail swishing as he corralled my kids. We spent the rest of the day in the house, switching between Lath beating me at video games in front of the kids, all of us watching a movie, or the kids all doing their own thing while the fox and I sat on the couch together. The two of us didn't need to keep up conversation. It was an easy silence, something I wasn't used to with anyone but Jake. Maybe that was because my oldest was just a little clone of me. Lath even cooked dinner again, this time deciding on from-scratch ravioli. Now, I'm a terrible cook, so I just stood to one side, watching the fox teach Sharon and Sandra how to properly construct the pasta. He left Jake to mix the pork and spices filling with his bare paws, since neither of the girls really wanted to play with squishy, raw meat. The fox even wore Molly's old apron, which, oddly enough, looked like it belonged on him, despite it being far too big. After dinner, the five of us all curled up together to watch an animated movie I'd liked as a kid. Now, by curl up together, I mean Sharon was in my lap and Sandra was curled up against Lath and Drake was on the floor. All three kids kept their eyes on the screen, 
but I couldn't help but keep glancing over at the young fox, so comfortable with one of my kids dozing off in his arms, smiling at me when he caught my eyes with his own. When the movie ended and I turned on the evening news, it was already past the girls' bedtime and creeping up on Jake's. They all begrudgingly slunk off into their rooms through the combined efforts of the fox and me. When I heard the last door close, I pulled Lath over to me, pulling a blanket over the two of us. He snuggled up against me, his head resting against my chest. God, he smelled even better now, the mix of his subtle natural scent and dinner making me need to keep an arm wrapped around him, press him against me. The kids were in bed, uh, hopefully, and wouldn't be moving again until I woke them up for school in the morning. The fennec's skinny little body slid up, soon leaving Lath sitting in my lap, his lips pressed against mine, his paws on my shoulders. To be fair, I'd been thinking about it, but whatever was going on in China distracted me. I parted my lips, letting him breathe into my mouth, my paws sliding up his sides, playing with his big tail, making my claws lightly rake down his back, making him shiver. He was straddling one of my thighs, his thin legs gripping me as he pulled his muzzle up, gasping as I kissed down his neck, my broad tongue caressing across his exposed throat. My big fingers couldn't really work the minuscule buttons of his shirt, and when he noticed what I was trying to do, he helped me. The sea-green dress shirt sliding off his shoulders, my lips moving across the bare white fur covering his chest, not much of a contrast from the tan fur on his arms and legs. He whimpered, so low I wasn't sure if I imagined it or not, and I picked him up, not wanting to wait any more. I carried him into my bedroom, shutting and locking the door behind me. Please, God, of every night in the year, don't let Sharon have a nightmare tonight. I kissed him again before setting him down on the king-size bed, leaning over him, more towering, as I ran my lips along his ears, his breath catching in his throat as I undid my pants. I could feel my sheath already filling, and it took me a good long while to get hard. I wanted to make him feel good while my body caught up with what my mind wanted to do. He didn't resist. He didn't act coy or embarrassed. His blush was more from my fingers tracing his ears, and even helped move things along. His fingers moved along the waistband of his slacks, undoing the buttons above and below his tail, and then the one in front. All four of our paws helped pull them down. My own clothes could wait. I have to say that even if I normally thought him a bit too thin, seeing him like this made me forget any complaints I may have had. I couldn't see his ribs through his fur. He was thin without appearing anorexic, muscles evident in his thighs when I ran my blunt claws down them. He looked almost ethereal, with his light-colored fur against my deep blue sheets. The only color besides sand and ivory was the smallest point of red where the head of his shaft rose from his sheath. I climbed over him, my knee almost slipping on the edge of the bed and ruining the moment, but I caught myself and ended up on all fours on top of him, our faces even as he ran his paws across my still-covered chest, panting heavily. I tore my shirt off, a moment of self-consciousness piercing through the haze of need that he might be disgusted by my gut, but his paws didn't cease their gentle exploration, as though they wanted to touch every inch of me. I stayed like that, kissing him, letting his paws get used to me, until I looked down and saw the rest of his shaft out in the cool bedroom air. Like the rest of him, it was cute, the slight bulge at the base that would form the knot obvious, with only a few inches past that. I wrapped a paw around the whole length, and the red flesh disappearing behind my fingers as he gasped. He at least realized to keep everything quiet, 
and as he bit his lip to stop from whining loudly, I settled back on my knees, slowly stroking him as I brought my other paw down, trying to be tender as I ran a blunt claw closer to his tail hole. Within a few seconds he was humping up into my paw, my fingers gliding now from all his pre-cum. He might not have much down there, but he made up for it with all his eagerness and sensitivity. When I ran a claw right under his sack, he jumped, clapping a paw over his muzzle to stifle a whimper. After I grabbed a bottle of Vaseline from my bedside table, a man has private needs too, I started working under his tail. He, at least, knew how to relax when I pressed one of my thick fingers against his tail hole, teasing a bit before starting to press in. His paws stayed over his muzzle, his legs shaking slightly as I loosened him up, my single digit soon working its way around inside him for just a bit before I started moving it back and forth. I'd let go of his cock, by the smell I thought it would burst any moment, and it kept spurting pre onto his belly. As soon as he was stretched out to my liking, I pulled my finger out, wiping it on my abandoned shirt before throwing the garment to the floor. I kissed the petite fox, tenderly, lovingly, before I pulled down the zipper of my pants. Now, I don't like tooting my own horn, but I'm big. I'd never heard a complaint about my length or girth, and now that my slacks weren't containing it, my shaft flopped out much longer and thicker than him. I kept my eyes on the fennec's face, trying to read what he thought of it, but I was answered by his paws, the small things moving down, wrapping around my maleness. He squeezed, and I shivered. His tiny paws could barely fit around it, but they worked their magic getting me to full hardness with fingers across the head, strokes along the shaft, and squeezes at the base. I tried to keep my lips near his, but it was impossible when he got serious, stroking me firmly and watching as I started to dribble pre-cum down on him. I couldn't wait any longer. I gently pulled his paws away, nuzzling him as I lifted his legs, bending him until his knees almost touched his chest. I took some more lube to apply to my own maleness, loving the way his tongue shot out to lick at my throat as I made sure I wasn't going to split him in half. When I pressed the head of my shaft against his tail hole, he stayed relaxed, just leaning up to grip my shoulders and kiss me. I tried to be slow, I really did, but I just sunk into him, bottoming out in the first thrust. Laith caught his breath, a high-pitched whine filling the room. We stayed still for just a single, terrified moment, both of us afraid of waking any of the kids. But once no footsteps echoed in the hallway, I nuzzled him, keeping my paws on his hips as I pulled back. He kept virtually silent, gritting his teeth. I knew I'd hurt him, or at the very least not given him the time he needed to adjust. But I couldn't stop now. Having someone clenching around my maleness after so long made me push back in immediately, kissing him to stifle my groan and his whimper. Despite the fast pace I picked up, and despite the fox's initial pain sounds, his member still dribbled onto his belly, his breath still caught in his throat, and his insides still clenched around me. I huffed, breathing heavily. This was probably the most exercise I've had in the last couple of years, but I was willing to deal with the muscles in my thighs burning to take this fox. I shifted my weight around, trying to get in deeper, and once I did, he started letting out these cute high-pitched noises. They were quiet, and I couldn't remember what they were called, but only foxes made them, and it drove me crazy, making me pound faster, nip at him, kiss him. I felt the pressure in my balls. I was going to come, and there wasn't anything I could do to delay it. I pushed in as deep as I could, almost curling around him as I gritted my teeth and squinted my eyes shut to stop from roaring into the ceiling. I could feel him squeezing down as I coated his insides with calm, his lips against my throat, his whole body shaking. I slumped down as soon as it was over, knocking the wind out of the little fox before I rolled over, slipping out of him with a wet pop. 
Now he did groan, but I'm sure the sound of the mattress springs covered it up. When I looked over, I saw his belly covered in cum too. My belly rubbing against his cock had gotten him off without any pause needed. I always tried to sleep flat on my back just to take as much stress off my spine as possible, but now I needed it. Just keeping myself over him made my legs, knees and back ache, so I stayed like that, rolling the fox against me. I knew he was sore too, but he still nuzzled against me, his eyes closed and a look of bliss on his face. I kissed his ears, almost giggling like I was twenty years younger. It had been so long since I'd done any of this. I'd put an arm around the petite fox, wanting to share every part of me with him. I pulled my giant comforter over us, trying to decide if I wanted to pull him into a quick shower. I didn't know when I fell asleep, but I knew I woke up to a gentle prodding in my shoulder. After opening my eyes and realizing the fennec was still curled up against me, I looked over to see Sharon dressed for school. Hmm? Jake says you need to drive us to school. Oh, fuck, what time was it? I looked over at the bedside table, gently rolling lathe off me. The fennec stirred, but didn't wake up. It was already eight o'clock. They should have left twenty minutes ago. Mm, let me get dressed. I was awake enough now to remember I wasn't wearing anything. Sharon treaded back over to the door, but her next questions made me pause in trying to find where I'd thrown my pants last night. Is Leith going to be our new mommy? I didn't really know how to answer that. Why are you asking that? I rubbed my eyes, hoping Jake had turned on the coffee pot for me. Well, mommy used to sleep in bed with you. I don't know. Even if she didn't look satisfied with that answer, she still walked out of the room and let me find some clothes. By the time I got back from dropping the kids off and having to check them all in at the office, Lath was awake and the shower was on. I let him have the time alone, but after he stepped out, wearing only a towel, I put an arm around him and gave him a nuzzle. You don't have to go just yet, I murmured, more because I wanted to explain the important things. Even if my little girl had seen us in the morning, she was young enough that the same bed excuse would still work. That excuse wouldn't work with Jake. Oh, I should the little fox said, standing up on his toes to kiss me. When I broke the kiss, wanting so much more than that, he hugged me. We won't do anything in front of the kids, he added. When I looked down at him, I could see that he wanted me as much as I'd be needing him. Nothing? Nope, he reiterated, kissing me on the cheek. I'm their babysitter, and when I'm here for that, that's what I'll be. I couldn't really think of anything to say to that, and I really liked the idea, so I just pulled him close. Anything more complicated could wait. The house took on a different dynamic after that. Lath would come by most days, both when I needed him to babysit and when he came on his own. The kids knew there was a difference, especially considering that the Fennec and I stayed a few feet apart when I was paying him and cuddled when I was not. It wasn't just the babysitter arrangement. If I paid him on days when he spent the night, I felt like I was treating him like a whore. Of course, the nights when he came by when I was home meant we could have our fun. We waited until the kids were all in bed, then he spent the night. I hadn't gone down on a guy in a long time, but it didn't take me very long to get back into the motions. Honestly, and I know it's terrible, but I thought it was funny when he went down on me. <laughs> he couldn't fit me in his muscle, but damn, he tried. Above everything else, I didn't want to monopolize Laith's life, but it seemed like I wasn't giving much say in the matter. He would stop by almost every day I didn't keep him employed, stretching up to kiss me on the cheek, being sweeter than almost anyone I've ever dated. He cooked, cleaned, acted in every way like a dutiful housewife. By every way, I include after the kids went to sleep. He did everything he could to satisfy me, 
as though all he wanted was to make me groan, dig my claws into him and fill him with cum. I got a phone call a couple of weeks later that sent me on edge. Molly's father wanted to come see the kids. I liked him a lot more than my own mom, and it's one of the reasons Molly and I could lean on each other. She ended up with just a father while I had just a mother early in our adulthoods. The problem was, I didn't know how to explain Laith to him. As far as he was aware, I hadn't dated anyone since his daughter, and to be fair, I doubt Molly had ever told him I liked guys as much as girls. So when he came by on a bright Sunday, I made sure Laith went to a movie. Once I made some coffee, I slumped down against the kitchen bar and waited for the kids to calm down. They hadn't seen him in a couple months, and it helped that he always arrived with presents. He's actually smaller than me, both shorter and thinner, but he still had the bare shape. Jake, temporarily detached from him with a handheld game system I didn't recognize, Sandra with a book series he thought she'd like, and Sharon with more stuffed animals for her room. Once they went to put their gifts away, he walked up to me. How you doing? He put a paw on my shoulder, not being overly familiar or formal. Better now. The bear half smiled, the same way Molly used to. I couldn't resist but smile back. She obviously had inherited his magnetism. It's good to see the kids again. They coping? It had been three years and even Sharon had stopped having nightmares about it a while ago. But he wasn't asking about who was going to replace her, which I really appreciated. I knew it had everything to do with the fact that it was his daughter eventually being replaced. We chatted quietly until the kids came back in, diverting his attention. After a few hours and three cups of coffee, I heard the door open. Before I could rush him back out, Laith walked in, dressed in jeans and a sleeveless, artfully ripped t-shirt. Mr. Swanson looked at him sidelong, but when he walked into the kitchen without a pause, the older bear went back to the kids. I told you to stay out of the house today, I murmured, paranoid about our connection being discovered. The fox didn't reflect any of my worry, though, instead just starting to open the cabinets and clear off some stuff on the kitchen counter. I can't find my psychology book. Figured I would check here since it wasn't in my dorm room. Oh, just make it quick. He smiled, his tail swishing back and forth as he walked back toward the bedrooms. My father-in-law looked in his direction again before telling the kids to hold on a moment. Uh, that the babysitter? I nodded, forgetting the kids would probably talk about him. One of the girls must have brought Laith up. He's, uh... Something passed over the other bear's eyes, a mix of worry and concern. Uh, smaller than I expected. <laughs> to take care of my kids? I poured another cup of coffee, but nearly dropped the pot as Mr. Swanson continued. To sleep with you? As I very carefully set everything in my paws down, I kept my eyes on the older bear. Sandra and Sharon must have let something slip, since they wouldn't see anything with talking about the fennec currently roaming out of sight. I don't think I saw anger in my father-in-law's eyes, but there was definitely a few other things going through his head right now. Look, uh, he said, taking a sip of coffee to collect his thoughts. I know you like guys too. That almost made me breathe a sigh of relief. I wouldn't have to deal with more than one level of exposure today. <sighs> but a college guy? Now, I needed to word this right. The only person who might love my kids more than me was Mr. Swanson. It took me a couple seconds of silence to put everything together in my mind. I looked around the corner. Laith still probably couldn't hear me, because if he could, those giant ears of his would burn with his blush. Honestly, he's better with my kids than I am. I couldn't ask for someone better. He can't replace Molly. There was a tension in his words that I knew I needed to placate. I thought about my wedding ring, sitting in a small jewelry box in my medicine cabinet. No one could take her place in my mind, but I knew now I could be with someone else. Not necessarily to cover her up 
but to be the loving person in my life that she'd been. Oh, he can't, but he makes the kids happy. He makes me happy. Isn't that enough? He still looked a bit uneasy, but emotionally said enough to sigh. Well, that's what's important. Just then, Leith came back into view, no book in his paws. It must be somewhere else. Both his ears flicked once, out of sync, before he stepped up to the oldest bear in the room. Glad to meet you, Mr. Swanson. My father-in-law gripped the offered paw, smiling a bit weakly, but still smiling. They exchanged pleasantries, but my eyes moved to my kids. All three sets of eyes were on the two guys talking, as though this solidified Leith's place in the house. When the older bear excused himself to go back to the kids, the fennec smirked at me. I'm glad I came over here. He's nice. I stepped away from him for a moment to put my coffee cup in the sink. Where else do you need to check for your book? No, I just figured that would be a good excuse to stop by while Mr. Swanson was still here. His grin when I turned back around was as much proud as mischievous, making me put an arm over his shoulders. Oh, you're a sneaky fox. He kissed under my chin in response. Once Mr. Swanson left, it was time for the kids to go to bed, and they all said goodnight to both me and Leith. I pulled him into my bedroom, my lips against his, and making him walk backward until he fell onto the mattress. We undressed each other, but rather than progressing from there, I just pulled him into my arms, kissing over his ears, his face, and making him whine when I trailed down to the sides of his neck. He was putty in my big paws, and once he was completely relaxed, I pressed my lips to his ear and growled. Oh, you're a very bad fox. Leith giggled. Do you feel better? He whispered. And I had to admit, I did. I still think it's a little weird. He kissed me on the throat, nearly breaking my concentration on being good. Sandra has a girl in her class who has two moms. That didn't really make me feel better, but I still kept the fox in my arms, gently nibbling on his ears as I fell asleep. He cared about me, he wanted me, and he was concerned about what was best for my kids. We both needed sleep, but I didn't care that I was tired. I held him as he slept, hearing his gentle breathing and hoping this would last. The kids loved him, and I was getting close to it. He might be more than a decade younger than me, but by the way he fits so well in my arms and how we worked so well together, I wanted this seemingly self-sacrificing person. If he could do this much for me and my kids, I would do everything I could for him. It took me another two months before I could say it. I know those three words were probably the three most powerful in the world, so I didn't want to say it early and not mean it. It ended up happening on the couch. The little fox cuddled up against me with one of my arms over his shoulders. His muzzle was against my chest, almost purring as the kids did their homework at the kitchen table. We'd given up keeping everything hidden a couple of weeks ago, after Sharon asked if we were mad at each other since we weren't touching in front of them. I pressed my lips to one of his ears, ignoring the tiny shiver, and whispered something I'd been saving until I was sure. Now I was. I love you. He smiled against my chest. I didn't have to hear it back since I already knew he felt the same. I kept rubbing his ears even after he started to shiver and wiggle around knowing he wouldn't push me away. He liked it, even if the kids thought I was tickling him. You've been listening to Friday's Child is Loving and Giving by Andres Halden, read for you by Alex Vance. Thank you for listening.